Welcome to Sword and Spirit Fire Podcast. As I've been seeking the Lord over the last few days, there were several different things that He had put on my heart, one of which He really began to highlight yesterday, and that is His presence, building a habitation for His presence and the dangers and consequences of not having His presence in our life. I want to look at a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel about the life of Samuel. A little bit of backdrop. Hannah was Samuel's mother. She was barren. The Lord had closed her womb. And she desperately wanted a child. And she had fasted and prayed and wept and went to the temple and cried out before God for a child. And God eventually blessed her womb and gave her a child. She promised God that she would give the child back to the Lord to be raised in his house. Hence, enter Samuel. So Samuel was taken to the high priest's home, to Eli's home, Eli's temple, rather, Eli's household, one and the same. And he was raised there from a, a young baby into his ministry days. Samuel's first prophecy is recorded in chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not sleep, Before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Go lie down again. And he went and lied down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lied down in his place. I want to stop right here for a minute. In verse 9, Eli instructs Samuel and tells him, Go lie down again, and if you hear your name being called again, if you hear this voice speaking to you again, it must be, you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That is an extremely important scriptural principle when entering into a conversation about the presence of God. You see, we can grieve or quench the spirit of the living God in our life. And one of the quick ways that we do that is by not being aware of his voice, by not realizing that he's trying to speak to us, trying to get our attention, or by not knowing him intimately enough that we recognize that it is him. It's an extremely important and critical principle that we do not miss our days of visitation, that we do not miss our moments of intimacy, that we do not get so busy and so distracted 
and fall out of fellowship with the Spirit of God that we don't recognize when he is speaking to us. So just like Eli said to Samuel, you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Eli was telling Samuel, you have to respond. And so this is important for us to understand. When we hear the Lord dealing with us, we must respond. We must respond to him and enter into a conversation. Because often when the Lord is prompting our heart, when the Lord is speaking to us, he speaks to us in a still small voice. And sometimes we get so busy with the hustle and bustle of life or the enemy sends agents of distraction to try to vie for our attention or try to seduce us away from that secret place and that intimacy with the Lord. But we have got to learn to be still and respond when God knocks on our heart. Verse 10, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. So look, the very first lesson that we see Samuel receive here in being trained to hear the voice of God is he was trained, he was taught to respond. So one of the very first important principles that we need to take away from this is the exact same thing. When learning the voice of God, when getting acquainted, getting to know God intimately, when we want to hear from the Lord, the first thing that we have to understand is we need to respond with a hearing ear, with a servant heart. Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So from a servant heart, he referred to himself as a servant. He recognized himself to be a servant unto the Lord, but he also voiced his hearing ear. I'm listening, Lord. I'm paying attention, Lord. Responding with a servant heart ready to serve the king, no matter the hour, no matter if you're being woken at 3 a.m., no matter if it's in the middle of the day, even if you're standing in the marketplace in a busy supermarket, even if you're on the job, no matter where you are, we have got to train our spiritual senses, train ourselves in intimacy with the Lord, that there is nothing that gets us too busy and too distracted. We have got to become more aware of his presence if we want to build a habitation for his glory. If we want to see the glory of God in our life, if we want to live in the higher realm, the glory realms with the Lord we have to train ourselves in specific ways one that we have a servant heart that means we answer when the king calls number two that we have a hearing ear number three that we train ourselves to be more aware of his presence that we are tuned in and expecting him to speak to us and listening for his voice I'll be right back with you soon So the Lord has now called Samuel three different times as he's lying on his bed. And he's watched as Samuel has ran back and forth to Eli's bedchambers, thinking that it was Eli calling him. What is it that the Lord wants to speak to Samuel? We're going to pick up in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears will tingle. 
In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is it? What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So right in the very beginning, when God calls and begins to speak to Samuel, He gives him a word of warning that is a judgment on Eli's house, the very house that Samuel is a young boy growing up in. And then Eli threatens Samuel to tell him the word that the Lord gave to Samuel. Eli told him, you have to tell me everything. What is the word that the Lord said to you? Don't hide it from me. And so can you imagine an adult man and someone who's your authority telling you, tell me everything that the Lord told you. Do not hide anything from me or the God or God do to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me, he literally intimidated him and like threatening, threatened him and this tone of wanting to know what the Lord had said. But then when Samuel told him everything and he didn't hide anything from him, then Eli confirms to Samuel, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So we see some important lessons here in stewarding the voice of the Lord. We have to recognize our spiritual authority and we have to recognize when we are to speak and when we're to be silent. The Lord already knew that Samuel was going to be put in position to have to tell Eli what was said, but that was God's plan and tactic all along. God put Samuel in a position to have to prophesy the word of judgment. He gave him the word and then he sent the very person that he wanted the word to be spoken to, to Samuel to basically command that Samuel tell him the word. And so Samuel's very first prophecy was a word of judgment. Now, many today get afraid of the Lord speaking judgment or the Lord speaking something that may not be tingling to the ear or good to the ear of the hearers. And we see a massive thing that has happened throughout the prophetic culture over the last couple of years where there seems to be some division going on, where there are some that only speak in a lot of grace and a lot of seasoning and a lot of favor and a lot of... um, even prophetic language with 
all of the goodies, all the icing on top, all the sprinkles and the sugar and the glitz and the glam and all of the good things. But there seems to be a little less balance on the other side of the spectrum where there's instruction and wisdom and insight and warnings. The balance that needs to come to the prophetic. Oftentimes, God does give words of favor and words for prosperity and words for increase, but there's, there really should be wisdom and instructions and, and warning and, and things like that to ba- bring balance to the Lord because we know that God's nature is both kindness and severity. He is gracious and he is merciful, but he also is God, capital G. He is still Yahweh, the covenant keeper. But he also still expects his people to behave in such a manner of character that is mirroring the image and the character of Christ Jesus. Let's look at chapter 4. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. The ark of God was captured. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, where there with the Ark They were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So Eli's two sons are there with the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was said to be the the mark, the emblem, the symbol, the thing that housed the presence of God. So it's even prophetic symbolism for us even today. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. So Eli's two sons are there and they're guarding the, the Ark of the Covenant. They're with it. And... Israel goes to battle with Philistine, but they, they're defeated this day. And so they decide, like, why has the Lord defeated us? We must need to bring the Ark of the Covenant with us closer. We need to bring it in closer. Verse 5, And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Can you imagine? And how many believers today get all upset if somebody makes a little noise? But these ones shouted so loudly, the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the enemy knew, their enemy that they were fighting knew by the the volume of the shout that the presence of God the Ark of the Covenant had entered the camp. I want to just let that sit for a minute. Let's think on that thought. The enemy that they're at war with knows by the volume of their shout that the Ark of the Lord has just entered the camp. I 
I speak and decree and declare over you today, beloved, that you will rise with a shout of praise and a shout of breakthrough that is so loud and ecstatic praise and radical praise for the presence of God coming near your life, coming into your life, that it will literally alarm and alert the enemies on the other side and they will know that the presence of God has come upon you in the name of Jesus. Verse 7, so the Philistines were afraid. Their enemies were afraid. The Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. The testimony had went out. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And here the Philistines, they're already recounting the testimony of the Egyptians and the Israelites who had all of, had God on their side to the degree that all the plagues hit Egypt and Pharaoh was required to let the Israelites go. And now the Philistines are like, whoa, woe to us, woe to us. Oh no, what are we going to do with these gods? God is in their camp. What are we going to do? And they're recounting the testimony and they're hearing the loud shouts. Haha, <laughs> victory is about to be in- imminent. Oh, but is it? Verse nine, be strong and conduct yourselves like men. You Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Wait a minute. What happened here? The enemy was saying that God was in the camp. And the enemy was afraid. They thought for certain that, it, that they were in trouble. They were recounting the testimonies. They were expecting to get defeated. But all of a sudden, the enemy's captain says, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the enemy's, the, the Philistines' captain is literally coaching and rallying the troops to fight like men. And so they go fight. And Israel gets defeated. I thought for sure Israel was headed for victory here. But Israel's defeated. There was a great slaughter. And 30,000 foot soldiers died that day. 30,000 foot soldiers died. Why? Because the glory of God had departed. Verse 11. Also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas had died. So Eli's two sons who were said to be wicked had died that day. And the ark of God was captured. Here they had brought the ark of God into the battlefield. And they end up getting slaughtered. And the ark of God was captured. It was stolen. Verse 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? 
And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened. When he made mention of the ark of God, the Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. What happened here? Let's continue. Let's finish this chapter. Verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth. For labor pains came upon her. Sounds like a traumatic birth traumatic induced labor and about the time of her death the women who stood by her side said to her do not fear for you have borne a son but she did not answer nor did she regard it then she named the child Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. What happened here? Samuel's prophecy. Samuel was given a prophecy of judgment on Eli's house. The Lord had told Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears, both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Are your ears tingling? Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him, God had already warned Eli. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. This wasn't even as much about Eli as it was Eli being a father and the next generation. His sons had made themselves vile and he had not restrained them. He had not put a stop to it. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. The Lord had warned Samuel. He had called Samuel to prophesy and in doing so had warned Eli. And this what we see in chapter 4, the 30,000 foot soldiers being slain, the Ark of the Covenant being captured, Eli's two sons being killed, and Eli hearing the news and falling dead with a broken neck was all the judgment because God had already dealt with Eli's heart about the wickedness that was going on in his house. God had already tried to deal with him and Eli would not restrain it. Eli would not deal. He would not take care of it. God gives room for repentance, 
But after a set time, after an allotted time that heaven sees fit, that God sees fit, if repentance, if a changing of the mind, if, if a, a turning back does not occur, then judgment comes. And we see that here. And here Phineas, Eli's daughter-in-law, gives birth in a moment of trauma. And she gives birth to Ichabod. Instead of birthing a Kabod baby, meaning glory, a Kabod, Kabod glory is the weighty glory. Instead, she births an Ichabod, meaning the glory of God has departed. Cautions to not reverencing the presence of God, the glory of God, the voice of God, not stewarding from a servant heart, not having a hearing ear. And not having a repentant heart, a lack of balance, even in the prophetic, a lack of balance in these areas causes us to quench, to grieve the voice of the Holy Spirit and will cause the glory of God to depart from our lives. And when we want to that, when we want the glory of God, we know that Romans 3:23 say for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, sin and iniquity are always the reasons why the glory of God or the presence of God is removed from a place. We should be gravely concerned. We should be deeply concerned and make it our mission, our top priority. If we have not sensed the presence of God in our home, in our life, in our churches, in our city, if we have not sensed the presence of God, if we have not felt his manifest presence, over a period of time, we should be concerned. It is reason for concern. Sin and iniquity, twisted cords, crooked places, unforgiveness, immoralities, bad motives, lies, being out of balance, all of these things, thinking that God is so gracious and so merciful that we don't have to obey or quenching or grieving the spirit of the living God. All of these things can be extremely dangerous. And there are some nations even that it's like the glory of God has departed and many have cried out for the glory of God to return and many have cried out to see the glory of God. Join me for the next episode as we are going to move into... How do we build a holy habitation? How do we understand the presence of God being a habitation in our life, his abiding presence in our life? I strongly encourage you, if you sense that you've been one, that you've not really been sensing the Lord's presence like you once did or like you want to or really hearing the Lord's voice like you want to, I strongly want to encourage you today to just repent, to just go to the Lord and open up the conversation and just cry out in mercy. Ask for forgiveness if you've done anything to quench your grief. You know, I love and honor the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability and have for many years. And I am very much happy and thankful to be able to say that I am a spirit-filled believer and I treasure my relationship with the Holy Spirit and the intimacy that I have with Him. But yet, even I, even when I've lived that way, have found myself at times grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit because I give in to fear or intimidation or fear of man or I get busy or the enemy sends agents of distraction and buys for my attention or I get seduced away and my attention goes elsewhere instead of stewarding the presence 
presence and the voice of God. I find myself with a TV remote in my hand for too long, binging on Netflix or something like that. And I've had to course correct. I've had to go back and repent and adjust things in my life at different points and be watchful and try to up the level of my stewardship when it comes to my relationship with the Holy Spirit because I want the Lord to abide in my home. I want the wraparound presence of God to sit upon my life and to fill this vessel. I want to be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use and I pray for you today that that is your heart's cry as well. Join me next time. God bless you.